My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Girl boners are very important. Intuition is very important. So how come we don't really hear much about sexual intuition? Today, you are going to hear from a sexual intuitive who teaches people all about this as an esteemed coach and in her new and fantastic book, How to Get Laid Using Your Intuition, which debuted at number 69 on Amazon's (laughs) sexuality category, which is amazing and so appropriate. Her tell-it-like-it-is missives have been read by the better part of a million people on your Tango, After Party Magazine, Sexpert, Sexual Health Magazine, and her own popular site, Real Sex Daily. I'm sure stoked to chat with her today. First, a quick reminder to sign up for Girl Boner Extras on my website. That's augustmclaughlin.com. About once a month, I send updates. You will learn about my forthcoming book and events I'm doing. You might get some groovy discounts and extras and behind-the-scenes stuff. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at August McLaughlin and join the Girl Boner community on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash mygirlboner. I am so pleased to welcome sexual intuitive Susanna Brisk to the show. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be here to talk to you. I'm loving your book. It is the first book I have come across for somebody who potentially is, you know, out in the dating scene and it doesn't have gendered stereotypes. Thank you. I wanted to jump out of my skin. I was so happy to see that. Thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. That probably made it take uh, two years instead of one year because it's much easier to present the tired tropes, but they just don't hold true anymore. They don't. If they ever did. Right, exactly. They, They may not have ever, although they can become so ingrained in us, which is why it's so important that information is available that can present another way. I think we're all really tired of the pickup tricks, tips, and techniques. This will drive him wild. That's going to drive her crazy. It's like, how do you know that? You don't even know how she identifies. You don't even know if she's a she or a they. You don't know anything about her yet. So how are you going to assume that, oh, if you move your tongue a half inch to the right, that's it, ecstasy. Um, So I got tired of that. I got tired of the very pat. I think people are more intelligent than that. I'm hoping they are. Oh, totally. I agree. I agree. I love how you opened the book. You wrote, I didn't have the worst childhood, but I can say with certainty that life pretty much sucked until I started getting laid. You grew up in Estonia. I did. What was your education around sex and sexuality? Well, I was born in Estonia in the former Soviet Union, and I left when I was really little. And we stayed in Italy for two years, and then I moved to Australia because of this very uh, random idea that my aunt had about, um, we don't want to move to Israel, it's too dangerous, and New Zealand is just sheep, and America, too, too long to wait. So randomly, we end up in Australia. And I had my sex ed was no sex ed because I went to a religious Jewish school for eight years. And then I went to a girls high school. And there was no sex ed. Uh, 
I know that my parents, as you can tell, my parents probably not going to read my book. Maybe, maybe my mother, I don't know how she'd take that first paragraph, but she's heard it all over the years. But they basically, their 45-year marriage started from basically a one-night stand in Estonia because that was how you did it. So in terms of both the former Soviet Union and Australia, we didn't really date. There wasn't a thing called dating. When I got to New York City, 20 years ago, and they were like, you want a date? I was like, do you mean fuck? Because I didn't really understand that, um, you know, uh, what is that? Like what the is that courting dating? type of thing? No, there's no courting. It's just you meet, you have sex, then you do that for a while, then you shack up for like eight years, and then if it's still working, you get married, and then you get divorced like everybody else. But it's just, it's not the same as here. Here, there's a much more kind of a projected... Uh, timeline for how things go. But uh, once again, I think that it's all right now, everything's up for grabs. And if there's anything I want people to take away, it's that you can create your own structure that works for you. I don't even like the word relationship because relationship has a lot of baggage. I say a structure. What is the structure you want to create? So not necessarily monogamous, um, not not necessarily polyamorous. Maybe it's something else entirely that you create. It's like we have so many ideas about, oh, friends with benefit or a fuck buddy or, or whatever it is. And we think, oh, that's not a relationship. Why is that not a relationship? We're still relating. Why can't we set up structures that work for us as opposed to just thinking, oh, it's too hard. Like I'm not ready to get married, so I'm not going to have sex. So that's really what I want to do is give people agency and choices. Tell me about the term sexual intuitive. And you're obviously very intuitive. I feel like it it kind of spurts off of you and lands on other people because... <laughs> that's a very sexual metaphor. I like that. It was, right? We were like cyber squirting about... <laughs> yeah. about because I thought... In advance, all of a sudden, I had this feeling that I was going to have a guest cancellation. Suddenly, I see an image on Instagram, yeah. and it's like I knew I was inter- – it was the weirdest thing. Does yeah. that happen to you all the time? Every day. So when did you realize this about yourself? I've always been incredibly intuitive, and mainly it's because I can't trust my other senses. I can – the thing with intuition is, and I go into this more deeply in the book, is that intuition is the choices that you're able to make beyond your five senses. So it's not that you're not taking things in all the time. And if you don't have all five senses, that doesn't matter either, because it has to do with what you sense – beyond the facts. So for me, I could never really trust what my brain was telling me because my brain had some very old patterns, which in the book I call torture loops. Um, I couldn't really trust my heart because I'm highly over-emotional. Well, what's over-emotional? I think I'm appropriately emotional now because we all have to take ownership over who we are. So um, especially one week out of the month and uh, when I'm so emotional. And then, uh, you know, the genital, right? So I can't trust anyone one of those things to make the decisions for me. And yet I've always made really good choices when it comes to sex and dating. And it's kind of like a confounded me in a way. Like, how did I end up being that girl that um, I've just not had the same issues that other uh, women in my life particularly have had. And it's because of the intuition and this intuitive sense I absolutely believe can be developed. And so that's what I want to help is people to do. Born into us, and we sort of are taught that it's not something to nurture. One hundred percent. We override 
it's like, it, you know, every person has been on a first date and seen red flags and been <laughs> like, what a great parade. <laughs> and then, you know, you do this oh and gosh. you're 16 and you're 19 and you're 25 and you're 35 and you're still looking back and going, wow, you know, it's a funny thing, but I really had a lot of indications that this was not going to turn out well. Now, this doesn't mean that it's a time to sit and let's uh, regret the things that have happened to us, because everything, it, you, the way you know something was supposed to happen is that it happened. Mm. But it is an opportunity to apply this superpower in dating interactions in the future so that you're not overriding your instincts, so that you listen to what your gut is telling you in the moment. Can I share with you mm. an example? Of course. That's very... It would be embarrassing, although I'm not really embarrassed by it. But You don't seem like now, you're easily embarrassed. I'm really not. <laughs> but this is the kind of thing that I look at and go, wow, I'm in such a different place mm -hmm. than I was because overriding happened so much. I met this guy. I was so scared of him that I slept against the door of my apartment with knives. I was selling knives at the time for this uh -huh. company, uh huh, clutching my teddy bear. I was scared of him. That's intense. I ended up later, not immediately, but later, kind of befriending him. And we were in similar circles. And we ended up in a very serious relationship, which ended up being, I wouldn't say a mistake because I don't regret and I learned so much from it. Yeah. But looking back, it was like a zillion red flags. Yeah. Like I didn't just like miss a little subtle yeah, the knives thing. Are, the knives and the teddy bear <laughs> that was kind of a clue right there yeah if yeah. anybody is experiencing that just pause just yeah. think about that feeling you don't even have to really know why you're scared is what i've learned it's in your body because that's what happens uh that's how you know it's an intuitive hit as opposed to a thought or an idea um because in the book i say the last thing you want is a really good idea because the ideas are like men are this, women are this, sex is this, a bad girl is this, a good girl is this. And so when we uncover the stuff that's underneath that, if it sounds like one of those stories, it's probably not intuition. Intuition is felt in the body, somatically, we say, right? So it actually will force you to act or not act. If something is stopping you, it's probably your intuition. It's usually, uh, again, if it's felt somatically, if you can literally feel it in your gut, in your body somewhere. So we learn how to check in with the sensations happening in our body because I think especially for women or, you know what, I can't even say it's for everybody. We, we're not taught how to really check in with ourselves physically. We're taught to just brrr, steam through, right? The American dream. We're going to work, work, work. We're going to get there. Don't listen to that. Everything's falling apart. You know, the, the wheels are falling off and you're and you're not taking the, the, the car to the mechanic, And which happened to me today. <laughs> but intuitively, I took it at right the right moment. Um, but this is what we have to learn how to do because culturally, it's not what we're taught. This ties so well into a question we have from a listener, which Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com is going to respond to. And then I would love to hear your take. Fantastic. It comes from Kaya, who wrote this. I have a strong gut feeling that my partner is cheating on me, but no proof or evidence, really. My suspicion started this year, but we have been together for several, and I have never been a paranoid or jealous person. Besides asking them, are there other ways to find out if I'm right? Thank you for your question. Here is what Dr. Megan had to say. 
Hiya, thanks so much for your question. Um, and, you know, I think it's so important to recognize that, especially in today's day and age where there's these, you know, new language about micro cheating, um, you know, it, a lot, uh, it's a lot more frequent that uh, partners are starting to be curious or feel like something just isn't right or feels different or that in some way, and again, to recognize that cheating can be emotional and or physical, but that somehow uh, being suspicious, right? That in a sense, they're not leaning in, right? That you're noticing a shift in a sense that um, something's setting off alarm bells in your gut. And I think it's important that we recognize what's the difference between intuition, which I think we should always listen to, versus anxiety or fear. Because the reality is they both are in our gut um, physiologically. And so, you know, I think I try to teach my clients, it's, it's really a skill to notice the difference between and how it feels when it's fear versus when it's really like this inner knowing and intuition, which is, you know, that spidey sense that we should always be paying attention to. Um, but, you know, it's like how to find out, you know, I think what it starts with is, first of all, as you said here, it, and it leans more into the intuition pieces, like, you know, in general, and in your experience, you don't have a pattern of being a paranoid or jealous person, right? So all of a sudden, whatever you're feeling, it is setting off like warning signs or alarm bells, because something shifted or changed. And so that I think is the critical piece is to be like, okay, this isn't typically true of me. Because again, if that was true, it might point more towards fear um, that you're always maybe feeling insecure about a partner relationship and you're always looking for or vigilant in a sense to uh, their behavior. And that might sort of kick up fear, which then can lead to self-fulfilling prophecy. So the fact that this isn't something familiar to you, isn't part of a pattern of behavior, makes me think in some ways it might be more intuition. Um, but I think what's critical here is it's not really quote unquote finding out, right? I mean, if you really want to find out, you could hire a private detective, but that, that's not really the point. I think it's to let your, have a conversation. First of all, it's to say, you know what, that um, you're feeling a little uneasy or have some concerns. You, you, you know, there, you really would like to figure out a good time. Like what's a good time to have a conversation? Cause sometimes when something's more pressing to us, it might be like right before bed or before somebody has a, you know, a work meeting, like really making sure when you um, initiate or engage this conversation that you feel like you have ample time and opportunity and that, you know, your partner isn't distracted or, you know, under a work deadline or pressure that it feels um, like there's space to have that he and you both can hold space for this conversation because it's really to basically come to him and say, and asking him to really help you sort through these feelings um, that you're having to make sense of your feelings. And that, you know, coming from a place of curiosity and not judgment, and then just sharing with your partner, what is it that you've observed or noticed, right? It's, it's not uncommon when people feel or suspect an affair, they may notice that their partner has perhaps like lost a lot of weight or bought a lot of new clothes, suddenly taking a lot more interest in themselves and how they look. Or another big flag or warning sign can be changes in, you know, how they're using their phone and, you know, whether or not they used to leave it like on the coffee table. And now like, even when they go to the bathroom or all the time, it feels like it's always with them. Um, but I think when you're pointing to, in a sense, what is your intuition or gut, it's to be like, okay, what have you noticed? What have you observed? What are the behaviors or lack thereof that is, um, 
speaking to you and that these are the things then you want to bring to your partner and just sort of say, you know, I'm curious, I'm confused. Can you help me understand? Um, Because, you know, some of the other paths that I've experienced clients take or um, I'm sure, you know, friends have taken is to start checking behavior, like looking at their phone or on the computer. And what I can say there is that that checking behavior only reinforces anxiety that either you're gonna be like, okay, nothing happened. And yet it doesn't really change the underlying feeling and insecurity and or, you know, worst case, you're like, aha, I got them. But if you do it from that place, the reality is you've, in a sense, violated the sense of trust. Um, You know, I think it's really important that we don't step and beneath ourselves, in a sense, to snoop because then it really is um, violating trust. So it's more coming from the place of like, I'm curious, I'm confused, I'm having a difficult time sorting out these feelings I'm having and really just sharing what you're noticing and observing. And then the next and important piece is to observe and how do they react to your bringing this up? Are they open? Do they hold space for it? Uh, You know, is he defensive? Is he like thinking like you're crazy and, you know, that sense of gaslighting, you know, or ideally you see and get based on their reaction, like, wait, this feels like a big misunderstanding. How can I help clear this up for you? I think in having that conversation, ultimately that and how they respond to your questions is going to be an important piece to help you get peace of mind and to get clarity and to see what the next steps forward in your relationship are going to be. So as always, let me know how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. One thing that occurred to me when I heard the question was, I've long believed that the intuition is always right, but that doesn't necessarily mean we will always interpret it right. What were your thoughts when you were hearing this question and and Megan's response? I love that you said that. Um, I would have to hear this person's tone of voice and see her face, preferably when she talked about her suspicions, because it could be a thousand different things, which is why I don't give advice. I coach you to find the part of you that already knows the answer. And in fact, one of my clients has this exact situation. She is deeply insecure in her relationship. They moved in together recently. They are talking about having children, and she is still deeply insecure in the relationship if she allows herself to be. So what we're trying to get underneath is what need is not being met, because One of the basic needs that people have is for safety. And there can be, there could, again, literally be a thousand reasons why suddenly you start to suspect your partner is cheating that has nothing to do with their behavior. Like, you just have to look at People magazine. You just have to consume what's happening in popular culture because there's a lot of this cheating. I want to I would put cheating in quotation marks because there are so many ways and structures again that can be developed for conscious non-monogamy that this even if he even if he is uh, seeing somebody, right? Just a, again, worst case scenario. It's like it's not 
I just, I, it's very binary, this idea of like either you're faithful or you're cheating. It's like every, it's like male, female, uh, faithful, cheating, good, bad. Gay, straight. Gay, straight. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just, to me, it's so much more gray and so much more technicolor, in fact, to the truth. So I'm going to tell you my gut instinct is this guy's not cheating on her. That's just what immediately what comes to me, right? But to say that, well, I'm not habitually a person who's prone to paranoia, well, maybe you've never felt this way about somebody. That's a good point. When you're more vulnerable because you have deeper feelings, it's much scarier. Exactly. Maybe you've never loved anybody like this before. Maybe what this is, maybe what the gut is saying is, I need more of a commitment. I need to see something, whether we were going to cohabitate or, you know, or we could talk about marriage or we're talking about the future. There's like all these little tiny signals that this person could be picking up that may not say cheating, but maybe they do say, hey, I feel like I'm in this thing with both feet. The the cockpit door is closed and I am in, right? And there's something that's sensing that maybe he's not totally in. And again, because of the culture, immediately we go to this cheating, cheating. Oh, he's a dog. Oh, she's a slut, you know, because they cheated. It's like when when people cheat, it's not that easy to do that. You know, first of all, to live a double life takes a lot of effort, a lot of bandwidth. Organization. It's a lot of energy, (laughs) time management. Yeah, yeah. And often it's because a need is not being met, a basic need, and it becomes so urgent and so painful that people go after it in unfortunate ways. Instead of addressing these things and and stepping into the more vulnerable place of conversation and looking at ourselves. And she might be sensing something that's going to happen two, three, five years down the line because Even, again, in her gut, she might know, you know, I feel like sexually, for example, just one example, I'm not going to the places I could go in myself. I am hungering for more. He is hungering for more. We're we're stuck in some kind of a pattern. And so then it becomes, again, because the culture is, you know, there's always someone younger, someone hotter, and we don't understand that we are irreplaceable. And that we are unique and wonderful, our own energy. And this is when the doubt comes in and this is when, oh, we go right to cheating. I keep getting chills. Does that happen to you a lot? When yeah, I'm chills all day. especially intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that they're called skingasms, which I really like. Oh, I love that. People get it in response to music. There's studies around that. Oh, yeah. I get it from conversation. Oh, wow. That's lovely. And you lovely. probably get it constantly. That's very flattering. <laughs> yes, I have a constant skingasm going at all times. No, that's very lovely. Uh, there's another name for it as well, which I, I can't Probably a little remember. more technical. <laughs> I, told my, I told my son one day when we were listening to music because he gets a lot when he listens to music. I love what you were saying about these sort of labels and things that were kind of taught that this is the way mm-hmm. sex is, this is fidelity, this yeah. is good, this is bad. It's like, oh, he's such an asshole. Well, what about if they have sex once every 10 days and he's, I don't want to say he has a high sex drive, I call it fuck motivated. If he's highly fuck motivated and she's not, 
It's like, does anybody get any kind of pass from for doing the best they can with what they're given? I mean, obviously, in the ideal scenario, everybody's communicating perfectly. Everybody's being totally moral and conscious, and, and, and they can look themselves in the eye in the mirror at the end of the day because they're so convinced of their own authenticity. But most people, you know, we lie to ourselves. We lie to others, and we lie to ourselves. So... I just, I, the judgment around that intuitively <laughs> feels not good to me. Yeah, and so much <laughs> of it does come from society's idea of what is appropriate or sexy or not sexy. Absolutely. And I love what you talk about with fuck energy, that term. You say an intuitive tool used by pretty much Everyone I've ever met who gets laid effortlessly. Would you speak to what that is? Because I feel like it's so much more important than these sort of kind of lists that we have of what we think is sexy. So true. And to go from a criteria-driven view of relationships, like that's a lot of the time, if you go to a relationship coach, they'll be like, write a list about what you want him to be like. Like, you know, like 20 things. And it's like, I want him to be tall and have like dark hair and have like... you know, a Maserati or whatever it is. It's just, it's it's like, it's not, that's not it. That's not it. And I don't have any objection at all. If your deepest need is to have a tall, dark-haired man with a Maserati, then darling, have at it. You shall have everything you desire. But it's being able to sense somebody's fuck energy is not about their uh, physical appearance, as I say, beyond their tits and their cars. Because if you, you know, because you're in a real relationship, when you're in a real relationship, you see everything. And it gets ugly. You know, you wake up. I mean, I know you probably wake up looking stunning, but. but oh, of course. Of course. No, I don't. But ever. listen, but the thing <laughs> is that your particular brand of messiness, when you think that you're like a mess, is probably when your husband looks at you and is like, oh, my God, you're so gorgeous right now. Because there's these chemical reactions almost like this connection that supersedes all of this stuff. And because when you're in your own skin, And when you're really authentically kind of basking and radiating in your own fuck energy, then you just have that. I'm sure that a lot of your listeners have had the experience where they leave the house thinking that they look a mess or whatever, and they're, you know, getting uh, attention or or even dates or what have you, because it's it's the energy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like men have like a, a kind of a leg up on this where they notice this more even it's encouraged, right? Yes. We say, oh, men, you're supposed to want sex. But even though men are visual, like we think, like we've been taught, this is another erroneous myth that right. we have. Because oh, men it's are not visual. a gendered thing. No, yeah. but but it's like it's not. That's first of all, the studies say that women are just as visual as men. Mm-hmm. But men are much more used to looking at someone and being like, oh, that's sexy. That's sex. That girl's sexy. Or that man's sexy. You know, whereas uh, with women, we're like in the, you know, picking ourselves apart. It's like, he ain't picking you apart. He wants to see you naked. Or having shame <laughs> around the desire Absolutely. where we think, oh, we're not supposed to think that's sexy. Right. Or to be attracted to someone that you never thought you'd be attracted to. And to allow yourself to have that, that's how you get that fuck energy moving. Not like everybody who doesn't fit into your criteria is not attractive to you. Because when you find people attractive, people find you attractive. When you're turned on by life, life is turned on by you. 
I spoke with Jean Franzbaugh recently. We did an episode. Oh, I love her. On, isn't she wonderful? Yes. On nipples and brawlessness and all kinds of fun stuff. And we were talking about the fact that in cultures where breasts are, and nipples are normalized yeah. and not sexualized by society, right. nobody cares. Yeah. And it may be that their wrist or their ankle is the thing that turns everybody on. Absolutely. So how do we differentiate between what we have been taught is sexy and going, oh, that person's sexy because the magazines have told me that, even though we aren't even thinking that consciously, and what is really authentically sexy to us? I think that it's a a long process, but it's a worthwhile process. And the process is that you go inside yourself and you find out what's true for you. And you don't follow like a sheep. Listen, I'd love to be a sheep. It would be so easy. I'd know exactly what Instagram accounts to follow. It would all be set. But for me, it's a much more colorful and interesting way to live in a non-binary way where you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. You don't have to validate why you find elbows sexy or why you have this a fantasy that you think is so bizarre or why you rub up against a doorknob to make yourself calm and you've been doing that since you were five. It's like, who cares? And who cares why? Pleasure. If you're having pleasure, what's wrong with that? Right. And you're not hurting anyone. And we don't have to... That's right. We're not hurting anyone unless they want to be hurt consensually, of course. Exactly. If it's your kink. That's right. But nobody needs to analyze it. We don't need to sit and go, oh my God, you know, it's funny because my mother closed a doorknob in this certain way when I was five. And then it's like, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's like whatever your thing is now, you have the courage and the bravery to look inside yourself and just be okay with it. I think everybody has, not everybody, most people have some shame around a sexual desire. I know because I'm sure you hear from many people. I do. Almost every email I receive from somebody, at the heart of it is, am I normal? Am I okay? Yeah. What's wrong with me? Yeah. And every single time, nobody has ever had this big flaw that I'm like, oh, yep, you know what? You're definitely broken. <laughs> um, everybody, it's like, you're, you are beautiful and great. Be you. And if you're a religious person, you know, because I often say that without the uh, conservative Christians and the Orthodox Jews and the Mormons, I'd be out of business Mm -hmm. because so much of this is inputted in us by religion, this shame, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you think that God made you this way for a reason, well, then just go with that. Just take that and say, you know what? God made me this way. God made me with my kinks and fetishes for a reason. Yeah, because then God must have invented pleasure. Absolutely. Why would there be a clitoris? There's no other reason for a clitoris to exist. It's not yeah. uh, for a procreative imperative. There's no like biological reason. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. love that you mentioned working with your beliefs because I really strongly believe that whatever your ethics are, they're they can work very well within sexuality. And if you are part of a religious practice where you feel like the people around you are shaming something about your sexuality, you can find another group. Yeah. You know, there are so many, they're not the majority, but I interviewed a sex positive pastor, a sex positive priest wow. for my book that's coming out. And those were some of my favorite interviews because just to hear them talking about the sacredness and 
the inclusivity, you know, there are so many resources out there. You can find those people. You don't have to give up. I think there's a fear that like, if I let go of this, then I have to, again, go from one end to the other. The Episcopalians are chill. Yeah? I don't know a whole lot about them. Tell <laughs> I me noticed more. that. Okay. Um, just in my travels, I've noticed that. That's good to know. But uh, I think that um, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. It's really fascinating to me. It's I had a very highly religious um, girl come to me who was uh, 25 years old and still a virgin. And she had so many. And that's not a still, because if you want to be a virgin when you're 25 and you're empowered by that, you go for it. Go yeah, for absolutely. it. Be a virgin when you're 40 yeah. if you're empowered by it. However, yeah. if you know in a little part of you that this is a place in your life where you're being inauthentic, where you're allowing all of these fears and negative preconceptions that you have to stop you. So this was her sex ed. Are you ready? Yeah. So she's 12 years old and she's in a class with girls and boys and they pass around a piece of scotch tape. What? They pass it all around the class. They go, everybody touch the scotch tape. And then at the end, the teacher said, this is what a girl is like when she allows herself to be with a lot of men. She's a piece of dirty tape? Marked forever. That's her sex ed. I said, no wonder you're at this place. No wonder you haven't had sex. Well, of course, within, I think I worked with her for two months and she did she did have a very empowering uh, sexual mm. experience and continues to have empowering sexual experiences because we worked on uncovering, again, this extreme. Like either I'm a, you know, I don't want to be one of those girls. I, you know, I'm not going to be one of those girls. And it's like, you can just be who you are. And and f- not, you know, you can be gaffer tape. You could be <laughs> some, something else that does. I mean, what a biz- is that bizarre? I have asked literally hundreds of people what they learned in sex ed. Mm-hmm. That is that's one of the worst. Yeah, I have to say. Just, yeah, there are many different sort of metaphors that have similar kinds of ideas. Yeah. But and that's something that sticks with you. It's the one thing you'd remember from sex ed because nobody's remembering all this biological blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah that you don't yeah. really understand. No, <laughs> you know, but that. You would remember. Yeah. And I love how quickly, within a couple of months, that she, the awareness is so big that she was able to work with you and have this huge opening in her life. It was incredible. I can't tell you how how gratifying and exciting it was. And 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 she was just like, I, I felt really okay to just be in the moment and just just totally like make whatever sounds I wanted and make whatever movements with my body I wanted and she just was totally out of her head Mm. and um, so you can manage it you know people think I think that there's an idea that if you I'm this going to go in the next book um, I that if you fall, right, if you fall into your sensuality that you're going to lose control of your whole life And I think for some people who've kept a lid on it their whole lives and it's like this pressure cooker, they're afraid to even like open Pandora's box. But I'm here to tell you, like you can, you can manage it. You can be a fully functioning human being and then be really fuck motivated as well and use that as an engine for the rest of your life. Not like, oh, it's over here in its own dirty little corner playing with itself. Like use it to motivate you to make your life better. Instead of having it fester when it becomes this huge thing. Whereas if it's a natural part of yourself that you're embracing, I feel like it's not a big deal. It can turn from an obsession to a natural extension. That's right. Well, you know, Dr. Chris Donahue says that, and I agree. 
This is where the compulsions come from. This is where the term, quote unquote, sex addiction comes from, because these desires are not integrated early. If you're told that you're shameful and bad and like you're a little kid and you're touching yourself, oh, we don't do that. We don't do that. That's dirty. It's like, well, of course you're going to get warped. Of course you're going to have um, terrible negative ideas about sexuality. Yeah. So, but you know, we don't have to live in that. It's like just because you've been victimized, you, we don't have to stay a victim. We actually have the opportunity to say, okay, well, what do I want my life to look like now? And this is such an important part of life. You know, this Maslow, uh, Abraham Maslow in the 50s. I'm sure this is in your book now. The hierarchy of needs is. The and hierarchy I thought it's in yours needs. too. It's in my book, yes. Yeah. Because it's like, it's, it's like you're just looking for evidence of like old white guys. <laughs> <laughs> who have said that it's okay to be sexual as if we need that, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's yeah. like, you, you know, people like data, but it's in the high, it's listed in the hierarchy of needs, basic needs alongside food, shelter, clothing, sex, and sexual intimacy, not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. And some people, if you are asexual, then you have a very different kind of need for intimacy. Absolutely. And it's that's a different pyramid. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So how does this fit into consent? I know that's a big focus of your book is kind of the pairing of the two and also the timing of when you wrote it. Yeah, it's interesting because I was spent um, last year kind of watching the events unfold in the media. And of course, none of us were really surprised by this. I mean, nobody who hasn't spent their life uh, either with their head in the sand or even been in the dating world as a woman is, is you know, shocked to find out that it's so widespread. It's like, of course, it's widespread. So but when it started to unfold, I was like, wow, 2017, not, maybe not a good year to write a sex book. And then it was like, no, it's the perfect year. Exactly. To, yeah. The best time. Because the answer. now it's so obvious to us that the old ways are not working. And so, yes, it was very important to me. If you're going to tell people to trust their instincts when it comes to having sex, you better have a really solid conversation going about consent. So the way that I put it um, immediately, even in the forward, is if you don't have the other person verbally confirm your intuition, then it's not validated. Sorry, might be a good feeling that you have. You're sure they want to sleep with you, but sorry, but no. Uh, you have to, of course, have a verbal uh, confirmation. And in the moment, of course, consent is a moment by moment thing. But what people don't um, realize maybe is that what we've gotten really bad at is reading those nonverbal cues. And that's where the intuitive power comes in. Because uh, not only are you, uh, you know, not ignoring the red flags, right? But from the point of view of somebody who has steamrolled consent without even knowing that you have, look at the percentage of people. And I believe them. I don't believe all of them, but I believe some of these guys in this case who are like, you know, I had no, I thought we had consensual sex. I mean, if you are in to that extent, not picking up or reading that the other person is clearly not into this or ambivalent, it's like, wow, we really need to retrain our intuitive sense because you can read that in a second. I mean, if you're in touch with your intuition, you can read it in a second. You can tell when someone's attracted to you in a second, and yeah. you can tell when someone's not. When they're enthusiastic, when they want something, which right. is another reason I love your book because there are so many dating and relationship books that teach really poor reading of behavior. Yes. And they actually say things like, 
she's probably going to play hard to get. Awful. This is flirting. When she, Awful. No, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. And there's a, listen, there's a small percentage of women that appreciate a coaxing energy when it comes to sex, okay? They want to be coaxed into sex. I've coached married couples where the woman doesn't understand why the husband doesn't want to keep coaxing her for sex, right? Mm, like seducing a bit or, right. yeah. Because that's her energy. That's what turns her on. That's fine. So then we figure it out. How can we move the energy around so that she gets that when he takes the trash out for her, for example, that he feels like he's, that's already a little bit of foreplay. Like he's giving her, you know, the it's it's all energy. It's all moving around, right? You understand yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So it's like the coaxing thing is such a, a, a misconception about all women you've got to you've got to you know convince nobody ever had to convince me to sleep with anybody mm-hmm. um, no but but some women if they're turned on by that that's fine but you will know There's what a big that difference. is I would know it's that a, in a guy too it's like, a it, different energy yeah, yeah if somebody wants to be seduced yeah. it's a very flirty kind yes. of like come on I want you to flirt with me it's not a looking terrified right. or looking like you have really bad gastrointestinal things going on. Or freezing or (laughs) having a fight, flight flight, or freeze, freeze. which is why people freeze when these things are happening, which is so difficult for people who haven't, for example, had any trauma to understand, is that, you you know, this person in the moment can't say anything because they're frozen. Um, I had something else for that that was sexier than trauma. (laughs) Actually, in the book, I talk about how your trauma can be the great gift to your intuition. Because if you grew up, for example, in an alcoholic or an erratic home, you already have a naturally developed intuitive gift. Mm. So rather than seeing it as a negative, oh, no, like you said, I'm broken nobody will ever want me. It's like, no, you have an extra gift of perception that not only if you can harness it will help you pick better people, but will make you better in bed. And it's so many things in life, I feel like. Yes. Gavin DeBecker, who wrote The Gift of Fear. Yes. Familiar? No, I'm not. It's an incredible book. <laughs> and not that you need to learn any more about instincts because you're the expert, but I learned a lot from it. He, Interesting. And he grew up seeing a lot of violence And he became so he can tell with absolute precision whether somebody is going to attack somebody or not. Yes. So now he teaches the CIA. He's incredible. And so who knew that came to me completely in a fever dream. I did not know about Gavin DeBecker. Really? Yeah. I'll look him up now. Interesting. I'll put him in my next book too. To uh, again another a white guy. To uh, I don't know. Is he white? Uh, I'm not actually doesn't sure. Doesn't matter. The point is that we're we're always looking for data to confirm our yeah. intuitive hits, which is the same as you know the conversation about consent. It's like you want to get the data, yeah, yeah, to yeah. confirm your intuition. Exactly. And his book has a ton of stories of people of all genders, but a lot of women who saved themselves with their intuition. Yeah. And what was interesting is in most cases they second guessed themselves and they would say yeah. things. I mean, afterwards they would be like, "I can't believe I didn't." No sooner. I can't believe, instead of going, you freaking saved your life. Right. You know, so it's really important to embrace that and and learn that it is this skill. And the more that we practice it, the the more strong it gets. And also, I've noticed some people have asked me because I took these amazing self-defense classes and I was reading this book and I'm always recommending it. And they're like, well, I don't want to rock around afraid all the time. And I was like, well, that's the opposite. It's the opposite. Yeah. It doesn't make you paranoid. Right. It just gives you more of a sense so that if something happens, 
you got it. Right. Because if you grew up hypervigilant, then you have a negative connotation to that. But you can develop a kind of acute awareness that is the flip side of that that's actually very positive because you can read people really well. And I mean, people, I've often thought I was psychic. I don't know if I'm psychic. I don't know. But I do know that if you have a highly, highly attuned sense of intuition, it can appear to people that you're psychic because you just, you're just synthesizing all of the clues very quickly. And then it just kind of comes out. Mm, yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. I could see that. I could see that. So how yeah. does this all relate to pleasure and orgasm as you're honing your intuitive sense in all of this? What impact does it have? I'm sure it's very positive. Well, it has to do with, again, you drop your preconceptions because an intuitive state of being is that you are going to be different with a different person on a different day or the same person on a different day right? Mm -hmm. You're going to approach your experience with them sexually differently moment by moment. And the same way with yourself. What does it mean to be in an intuitive state of being with your own sexuality? It's that you wake up and you check in and you go, what am I into today? Mm -hmm. You have that curiosity about yourself. That's intuition. Because, I mean, I'm into all kinds of things. I like to say I'm an everything sexual. And It's like a a gift that you keep unwrapping and there's more and more and more little gifts inside because when you're in an intuitive state and when you uh, follow your sexual intuition, you don't even, you can't even imagine stuff that you're going to be into six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. Is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And you're just like, wow, I did not know I was into this. But it's like the more you unwrap the package, the more you find these parts of yourself that can't be expressed in any other way. Much more fluid than we realize. Yes. and, And you can't get it from having dinner. There are certain things, there are certain needs you cannot quench from going out to a nice dinner. It's like people go, oh, talk it out, talk it out. It's like sometimes you just got to fuck it out. That's true. I mean, food can be orgasmic, too. Yes, for some. But it's not like this. Splooshing. <laughs> Is that what it's called? There's that. Well, that's when people uh, kind of throw themselves around oh, uh, in like food piles on of sheets and, and stuff. stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sounds yeah. very messy. That's the part that does yeah. not appeal to me yeah. is cleaning up a mess. But, yeah, I know. But well, I, that's the mom yeah. in me is just like, that sounds very messy. But, <laughs> you know, you just have to, you kind of have to put that um, yeah. aside again because it's not um, intuitive. I like it yeah. more when it's surprising. Like if you're going out for dinner and you aren't expecting something to be orgasmic. Yeah. Like I had these very orgasmic Brussels sprouts once. Oh. And I have photos because it was at this... <laughs> Writers conference. Did you totally Instagram those Brussels sprouts? I don't. Or think was I it before did Instagram? Instagram it. I probably Facebooked it. <laughs> I do have the pictures, but it's so funny. I'm. You can see it in my face and everything. Yeah. I just was so amazed by these Brussels sprouts. But what is the intuitive hit that led you to those exact Brussels sprouts on that exact day? That's a really good question. That's what you've got to look into. Man, that's going to take some research. It's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's so fascinating. Would you speak to fuck frequency? Yes. I think that's a really interesting concept, and I love the term. Oh, thank you. Well, um, I did kind of give myself the task of developing a new language when it came to sex, because it feels like the old language is not working. Uh, So, and it might be working great for you, in which case that's great. Um, But here's some added kind of terms that, that, um, that came to me. So fuck frequency is not frequency 
in terms of the number of times, right? Um, like how frequently. Uh, it's more like the frequency, like a radio dial. So in this case, you attune your fuck frequency to uh, improve your fuck frequency. Is there an app for this? I <laughs> would love to just of like, your bzz, plug yourself in. Yes. Well, <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that because it's like you, you, you're you're figuring out what you broadcast to the world, right? So there's all kinds of little subtle things that people do. For example, if somebody's paying attention, right, they look at you, right, and they go, she's, a, she's you know, stunning, gorgeous, and a, kind of a good girl, looking girl. And then in one second, they see the little the clit ring on your finger. <laughs> it's like now somebody paying attention immediately goes, ah, yeah, there's something right? Mm -hmm. And so we all broadcast, even with little uh, clues, with behavioral tics, with clothing choices, we reflect things about ourselves. So it's knowing what your fuck frequency is, and then knowing that you can also adjust it a little bit if it's not expressing you authentically. Like if your inner fuck frequency is like a dominatrix, and you're walking around like um, Adrienne from Rocky, (laughs) <laughs> it's like you got a little work to do to make your outsides match your insides. So how do you know what your fuck frequency is? Is it, do we need to have terms around it? Is it something that obviously it's going to change all the time? Do you, do you recommend just sort of practicing awareness or journaling or any kind of tools? I think journaling is really wonderful. But in terms of um, journaling is better for fuck energy because fuck energy, which some people call chemistry, I don't call it chemistry because I think it lives in you and somebody Mm -hmm. else just awakens it, right? Because chemistry implies the other person has to be there. Right. So that's fuck energy and journaling is fantastic. Masturbating is fantastic. Erotica mindful masturbation. So you're watching it and you're you're noticing what aspect of it turns you on. Is somebody dominating? Is somebody being conquered or annihilated or submitting, right? And you take all of this as your ongoing fuck energy project to figure out how it functions within you. Fuck frequency is more about what you radiate and what others are radiating. So you c- might want to ask other people. I don't recommend sitting on. I mean, listen. Not my dream is that stranger. everybody has read my book and they come, and that people just come to dates and they're like, "So, what? What kind of fuck frequency do you see?" Or you know, "Wow, so how fuck motivated are you?" You know, because I think the old terms are not working very well. For example, oh, the girl you're going out with is she a slut? It's Promiscuous like, is another one. How about this? Is she fuck motivated? Yeah, she's fuck motivated, bro. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a positive spin. It is. Motivated is a good thing. Yes, it is. It's a good thing. So the fuck frequency, you might want to ask past people that you've been with, or you might want to ask friends. And and you could have a really fun time with that because it's not, you know, if you ask people who are not going to say nasty things to you, but they might make you see things about yourself that you didn't know. How fun would it be to do a mixer? Totally. Specifically that where everyone is with no, nothing, it's not we're all going to come together and have sex type thing. Right. Just everyone. It reminds me of when I was working as an actress here, there was this casting studio where you could go and mingle around with people and people would 
It's the opposite of what we're talking about, but you categorize people. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about because I I went to the same thing. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember the guy's name, which is terrible because he did develop a method. But I did have an unusual experience when I was sitting outside and um, then the other members of the class were sent out to see what people were saying about you. And I was like really surprised because at the time I was in my 20s and I didn't understand how I came across I think Do you remember t- how people perceived people you? People were like, "Oh, she's so she seems really happy and friendly and and all of these like light things." And I was like, "Dude, I'm a depressive. I don't know what you guys are saying." <laughs> so, I think it's just really it's like, "Okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean I have yeah. to walk around depressed all the time so, so everybody <laughs> understands that I'm authentic? I'm broadcasting an authentic frequency?" No, but it's like you get closer to who you are, who you say you are. You are who you look like you are. For example, I know I have a little bit of a sex mommy fuck frequency. So I know that you said, you know, in your intro, it says you're like the big sister slash girlfriend. And Mm -hmm. you are, you radiate that, you are that. And I have that thing with clients too, where I think I become that mom that you can talk to sex about if you can handle hearing your mom talk about sex. Yeah, you do have a maternal energy, but you also have this really spicy... Grr. Yeah, (laughs) which is a really beautiful blend. Well, thank you. That's very sweet. It took a really long time to be okay with it, to understand that I could be nurturing and dominant. I could be aggressive and submissive. It's like, once again, it's the intuitive ability to tune in and go, who am I today? And allow yourself to be that person. And if that means that you're doing kinky things to yourself when you have time, then, you know, great. Like, how great is that? That's beautiful. Things can be private. This is one of the things I teach my clients. Things can be private without being secret. You don't have to walk around, oh, my God, I've got these terrible secrets. Nobody's going to love me because they know that I, I do these things with vegetables. It's like, it's okay. You can keep the vegetables private. It's yours. It's your thing. Yeah. And so hold it like a delicious private communion with yourself. I love that I'm getting emotional and sensual about vegetables, but whatever it is. Yeah. Clowns. I love that, too. Yeah. Because I think there is this fear that somehow everyone's going to know and judge right. you for it, which right. really probably has more to do with judging ourselves. We do judge our, ourselves, and, yeah. and we've been taught to. We're good little soldiers because we've told from the beginning. You know, you go into kindergarten, they go, stop moving around, sit down. Yeah. It's like, oh, I should override the impulses in my body. Got it. Yeah. You know, stop talking. Oh, I shouldn't express myself. Got it. But, you know, I have children, too. It's not so easy to make sure that you don't imprint them with any negative imprints. I mean, it's very, you know, even when you're trying to consciously parent, it's not easy. Sometimes the best thing you can do around your children's sexuality is just not even go there until they go there with you. Let them ask questions. Yeah. Bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to trying to mold them into into something. Yeah, absolutely. How has all this work changed you? You obviously were already intuitive, but working with people, working with others, and also writing this book. I have to say that the thing that changed me most, more than leaving my marriage, was BDSM. Mm. For me, I look at so many things in the world differently, including parenting, because of what I've learned from BDSM. And that's what, for me, took the gender conversation out of it, because I'm much more interested in 
the dynamic, the power dynamic. See, there are power dynamics in vanilla relationships. Do your listeners know what vanilla relationships is? Do you yeah, want to define that? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it has a different definition for different people. A lot of, I consider my, I don't think about myself with that label, but I think a lot of people would think of me as fairly vanilla, you know? You're not as vanilla as you think you are. Maybe not, yeah. Maybe, they would, maybe they're listening and going, um, no. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. No. But, it, you know, and it's all relative, too, because... For example, some people think of kink as you use a sex toy. Right. You know, like but, implements or. Yeah. But uh, typically, whips vanilla and tends to be less kinky, maybe less, quote, adventurous, more. Lights off, socks on. Ex- there you go. Sunday afternoon, yeah. 20 minutes, if that. Yep. You know, like a duty that you're doing. More usually penetrative. Yeah, P- penetrative. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Tab A into slot B. Right, exactly, which right. you talk a lot in the book about how there's so many layers and different types of – and that sex is not just that, which I think we really need to broaden that term. And even foreplay. Yes. As you said, taking out the trash could be foreplay. Talking, texting during the day is for Like, yeah. I don't even know if the foreplay word is relevant anymore. Yeah, that's right, because it's all one thing. It's all one thing. And your relationship, if you choose to be in a committed relationship with one partner, for example, your relationship – is all one thing. It's like it's not in little bits and pieces. Oh, this is what we're like at work. This is what I'm like at home. This is what I'm like in bed. It's all one thing. And that's why you see uh, people develop what's called, again, quote unquote, like a porn addiction. Because it's like that energy, that sexual energy has to go somewhere. And if you're not bringing it back to your partner and if you have this little compartment called, oh, here's the dirty stuff I watch and masturbate to, it's like what a waste for your partner who actually might be waiting to connect with you and dying to connect with you, but you've already decided, oh, God, you know, she's going to think I'm weird or he's going to think, you know, what's he going to think of me? He's going to think assuming I'm... is never helpful. No. No. But, but you know, a lot of the t- sometimes that's what happens. You know, you yeah. come to your part. I had somebody that I know had an amputee fetish. And for the first year and a half that he met his wife, she would bind her arm or bind her leg, and he was in heaven. He was like, oh, my God, this woman, now I've, I have everything. Because a fetish is not in the category of a want. In fact, a fetish is a need. So it scratches a part of your back, ah, oh, like that, oh, that nothing else can scratch, right? So he's like, I'm in heaven. She's a perfect partner for me. We get along on all these levels, and she's going to give me this thing that makes that I need so much. And then a year and a half into the relationship, she was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Wow. I don't want to do it. I'm not into it. It doesn't feel good to me. Right? Yeah. Which is like, okay, she doesn't consent. Right. So then you can't be like, hey, come on. It's like, no. And he's been with her 20 plus years. Wow. So where do you go from there? Well, he meets those urges in other ways, put it that way. Yeah. And there are so many different ways to yes. address these things. And the ideal response is not to try to squelch it. Right. Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. And also this whole emphasis on communication. Oh, we got to tell. You got to tell him. You got to tell him. Well, I recommend you be okay with it yourself first before you, you know, like that therapist said, it's like, pick your moments you know, bring it up over dinner. You know, why are you pee on me? Okay, pass the appetizers. <laughs> you know, like find a, 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 yeah. a, your moments and also what's the climate of the relationship? The whole climate of the relationship has to be a fertile one for being able to communicate. 
so many don't haven't you spoken to so many people like that yeah who are just like oh i can't i can't tell him that oh yeah the communication part is probably the biggest challenge for it's so difficult. many people yeah yeah and the starting is the really hard part and the more you go on without talking about something it gets harder and harder to to bring it up so yeah i think that's really important and there's so many ways to do so too like you said, it's not necessarily really abruptly or in the middle of sex when it's already happening yeah, or, you exactly. know, yeah, that's a muscle to work for sure. Yeah. But when it comes to sexuality, it's like we downplay the importance. We're just like, well, so what? So, you you know, whatever. And then we're like, oh, oh, she cheated. She, 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 it's like, well, what? think about how much a person is suffering when they're not getting their needs met. Or think about how pressured it is for somebody who knows that their partner has a higher fuck motivation than they do. It's like these things are all very difficult and very wrought for people. And it's very important to go gently and with empathy and slowly. Not like, oh, you have to tell your partner right away. It's like, well, why don't you just kind of sit with it a little bit? Yeah, because Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's really, really an important point. So I want to jump gears a little bit before I let you go, because I love that when you walked in, I think your first question to me was, did you masturbate in an MRI? Yes, that's when I first heard and about thought, you. It's so funny. You've been on my radar since then. That's so Yeah, because I was like, that is so cool. That is absolutely the kind of thing I would do. <laughs> and and uh, I masturbated on Playboy Radio for um, did they ask a you pilot. To? Yeah. <laughs> This wasn't just an impromptu. <laughs> no, sometimes I just randomly masturbate. No, they, the, the, the game was that it was like a game show kind of format where this guy was being asked whether he could tell a woman faking an orgasm. So they had two women. They had three, but one dropped out. So they had two women, one faked and one didn't. And you didn't? I didn't. I actually had an orgasm, which I didn't know if I'd be able to, but it was uh, fantastic. I was such a pro. Um, yeah, I don't know how, but it just it just happened. And then the other girl faked it, and he thought, he thought she had had an orgasm. And I was like, I could see the moment. I was watching her, and I could see the moment where she stopped herself from having one. But, um, but this is a, such an interesting field about observing people, which, of course, we're not used to thinking of it that way. We think of it, oh, it's either it's porn, it's voyeurism. It's like, but what about science? What about the science of sexuality? It's so fascinating. Yes. And there's nothing, quote, dirty about it. One no. of the comments on the article that I wrote for Cosmo about my experience I heard about from somebody else who yeah, wrote to me you, and said, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad that you're getting these comments. I was like, dude, I don't read those comments. Very good. <laughs> but she I'm told glad. me that somebody yeah. was saying, how could you use something for medicine, something scientific? Boy, she, better, a, she better not hear of a medical fetish. Right? Exactly. A medical fetish is all about using medical things for uh, sundry purposes. I think I might be borderline that because I I love getting tested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love, med- like, I want to, like, study my I brain more. You. And mm. I just think that's super fascinating. And in sexual ways and in non-sexual ways, but anything that turns me on in life, I feel like really affects that frequency. Yes. And actually, I get more turned on a lot of times when I am not thinking about it on purpose. Yeah. You're just living your life fully and, and not worrying about what other people think. I told you you're not vanilla. Okay, yeah, I'm not vanilla. I'm more like a chocolate swirl. A chocolate swirl, yeah. <laughs> Raspberry swirl. Um, yeah. But I had an, a, a desire for a long time because I can think off. 
to uh, measure myself with some kind of machines that are going to prove to people that I am having orgasms because, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, sure. It's been proven, but only so far that I know of in one study, Barry Kamizarek at Rutgers, who I worked with as well, I I want to say it was only maybe five or possibly ten people. And these were women who said that they could think off. And it was funny because Barry, that the male scientist, he d- was like, oh, I don't know if this is real. Yeah, the men are the disbelievers. The women were case. like, uh, this is real. Absolutely. And they tested. And it's very, very real. Yes. So would you explain what the thinking off process is for someone who's not familiar or at least for you what it is like? Well, um, I'm having an orgasm right now. I'm not really. Um, you contain so- yourself very well. <laughs> The stealthy ones are really I'm just trying. I'm holding back. I'm holding back from meeting you, August. Um, Well, in the book, I talk about this uh, cerebral, emotional, and genital, how there are three predominant ways that we pick a potential partner, and how when we use just one of those ways, we actually limit ourselves and we factor out intuition, um, which I show you how over the course of the book. So... As far as I can tell in my uh, rather unscientific study about this, it's a connection between the cerebral, the emotional, and the genital. When that energy flows, that seems like what it is. To me, it's energetic because there's no other way to describe it. There's no other way that science could explain why because it's not just a thought. The thought has to translate down and give you a physical response. So people who have uh, done Tantra or been involved in uh, the Vedas or uh, a lot of uh, Kundalini, these kinds of sexualities, they already know about this stuff. This is like old hat to them, is that you can uh, make yourself orgasm just by moving energy around. But I didn't come from any of that training. I was totally untrained. It happened to be on the highway. I was thinking. No, I was thinking about somebody and I just was like, oh, my goodness, (laughs) and I had to pull over. And then once I knew how to do it, then it became like a kind of, I don't know, it's kind of I feel like there would be in some ways if if people could make sure that they're driving safely and all that, that would be great for road rage. It's an anti-road rage for sure. Yeah, especially in L.A., man. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's ex- it can be exciting for a partner when, like, somebody is. Because uh, you have to, again, you have to know how you function. It's like if you're a Porsche, if you know that they're, you're, you're going to have listeners right now that know that they're a Porsche. And that's why they may even be afraid of their sexuality because it's so fast to rev. It's zero to 100 in seven seconds. And it's like, wow, that's really terrifying. So you have to know how to uh, drive your own machine. And then hopefully you have partners that Literally know, and figuratively in this case. Exactly. That, that know how to, how to wield that. Because we're all built differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. I did an episode on sleepgasms because it's something that happens to me fairly often. Uh, and that's it's funny. one You're of my most husband. popular topics. I get uh-huh. so many messages about that. People saying, oh, my gosh, it happens to me. Yeah. Or people who have been concerned that it happens. And I feel like that is thinking off. But it means that probably many of us stand in our own way of that happening when we are not asleep. Yes, because it's the subconscious and the unconscious. Yeah. And there's so much stuff. There's so many layers on that. All of our belief systems, all of our preconceptions about how we're supposed to behave, 
but you know, a wet dream, like, you know, uh, boys are taught about wet dreams very early. My kids learned about wet dreams in health class. And yet, I'm sure that it's more, uh, uh, women are more likely to say, oh, no, I'm orgasming. It's like, it's like good girl. Have more of those when you're awake, too, would you? It would be so great if parents of all gender identities would yes. be able to have that conversation. Yes. If they're going to have it with somebody who has a penis, too. Yes. It's the same darn thing that parts are just different. Yes. Yeah. So that's why we need a new language because wet dream is not even, I'm, I mean, unless you're like squirting in your sleep, which is also fabulous. Film it. Um, <laughs> you know, we need a new, I like sleepgasm a lot. Yeah. That should be taught in health class. You may have a sleepgasm. If they would let me Young in, ladies. I feel like they would, who knows, the, the direction we're going with our youth, I feel like maybe somebody will let us in one day. Yes. <laughs> I, they're so getting far. ready. They're getting ready. I mean, this next generation is just absolutely badass. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I know many people listening are like, oh, my God, I want to work with this person. I want to read your book. Tell us where they can learn more about you and purchase your book. You can go to sexualintuitive.com to see about my coaching work and to see testimonials. And also to buy the book, you just go on Amazon and you go How to Get Laid Using Your Intuition. You can also go to howtogetlaid.org. For more, can you believe I got that? I literally bought that at the lights in Los Angeles. Suddenly, I was like, "You get a lot done on the road." <laughs> I know. I have to stop coming and texting while I'm driving. <laughs> um, but yes, it's uh, an absolute honor to be here with you. Definitely find me on Instagram at Sexual Intuitive. Twitter is at Susanna Brisk, and I'm here. Awesome, and I know you do. Coaching by Skype as well. I do, I do. I coach people worldwide. As a, mat- a matter of fact, I that's why I know the next generation is amazing because I, I coached a nineteen-year-old girl from Egypt. Oh my goodness! I was like, "You're amazing. You're that's a miracle. Beautiful. Yeah. she is. That but gives me so much hope." All over the country and all in other countries. And then, if you're in Los Angeles, you can come to my lovely Topanga Canyon office where there are. The rustic hippies live. And um, it's just a pleasure. It's a pleasure talking to you. And it's a pleasure to be part of this new sexual revolution, because I do believe that this is the next wave. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you there. I hope everyone gets the book, checks you out, follows your accounts. And please, you guys, if you enjoy it, which I know you will, please review it. It helps so much as far as sales go. And you want to have more sex positivity out there. So I know you're going to enjoy it. Yes. (laughs) Trust me, the alternatives that we've read to see what's out there, not so good. (laughs) Yeah. We've been there. It's time for a new way. It is so true. It is so true. And if you're enjoying Girl Bunner Radio speaking of reviews, please subscribe in iTunes and you can leave us a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.